Welcome to the Real Estate Axe Podcast. This is episode 23 with your hosts, Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston. And joining us today is... Devin Wegman with Devin Grace Interiors. What's up, Devin? How are you? Joining us via Skype. Yeah, Skype. This is our first. This is our first remote. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. So (laughs) Thanks for being the guinea pig. Yeah. Um, no hopefully it works. You should be very honored though. We went through like 20 different interior designer candidates before Dan agreed on. Um, <laughs> so, and, and you should have seen how many takes we had to do with the Skype session, testing yeah. out all our hardware. So hopefully oh, this, yeah. hopefully this edits out well. I think it will. Sounds good so fine. far. Devin, what's your typical Dunkin' Donuts order? Hazelnut with cream. See how easy that is, right? Ray, Ray, tell her what you ordered. Jeez. I was, I called these guys on my way over saying I'll pick up Dunks. I got a latte. With what? Mocha. With and vanilla swirl. With ice. <laughs> Light ice. Light ice. God. And extra espresso. That's like a Starbucks order at Duncan. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And in other news, what, you got something done yesterday for the first time. Oh, yeah. I got uh, some spa treatments done. Oh. Facial? A facial. Um, it was a grooming facial, which is, I think, different. What does that even mean? I don't know. It was, I fell asleep during it. It was, Did so, you? it was so relaxing. Yeah. That's how you know they're good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the best kind. Well, your face looks good. Thanks. <laughs> we'll do a separate podcast yeah, on aesthetic. <laughs> How long have you been in interior design? Interior design, I guess, since grad school. So when I was at Northeastern, they obviously have a great co-op program. So my first co-op, I worked in New York at KPF Architects. And then my second one, I did at Ann Beha Architects in Boston. And while I was there, I got to work with their kind of third-party interior designer that they had brought on for one of my projects and went out to lunch with her, kind of learned about the interior design industry and realized that that was actually what I wanted to do. So fortunately, got to test it out with the co-ops. And then in grad school, I kind of switched over to interiors. What made you like interior design better than architecture? So I, I guess I kind of like always was doing interior design anyway, but I was always getting in trouble in class. <laughs> because what does that I would mean? Foc- so when I was at Northeastern in my studio classes, I would always be focusing on the finishes in a space and the uh, furniture. I would always furnish all my renderings and everything, and I wasn't focusing on the big picture enough, so I would get in trouble. But it ended up working out. And then, so for grad school, I went to Suffolk um, University in Boston. They have a small art school called NISAD. So went there and got my master's in interior design. Nice. And then, yeah, and then worked. I worked at Jacobs for a few years um, over in Cambridge and then made the move to Chicago. What brought you to Chicago? So I had always loved the city. Obviously, I had kind of learned about it a lot in college, just all the architecture here. So when I was, when I just graduated college, my girlfriends and I came out for St. Patty's weekend, which was a pretty good time and fell in love with the city. Did you do an architectural boat tour? I did. I've done it probably five or six times now. I love it. Yeah, it's it's awesome. really yeah. cool. It's really it good if you really go to Chicago. Good. Yeah, it's great. I say Chicago has a lot of similarities to, to Boston. Yeah. Well, like a lot of different neighborhoods, right? Like yeah. in each neighborhood has its own identity and... Um, a lot of multifamily homes, a lot of yeah. condominiums. Yeah, there's a ton of variety. Yeah. Chicago is definitely more affordable, I'd say, right? For sure. Yes, that was another big reason I moved out here. (laughs) Did you open your firm there or in Boston? I opened it here. So when I moved out here, I worked at Perkins and Wolf for about a year and a half. 
And then I kind of just left to try working on my own for a little bit and just see if I liked it and focus on residential. And then it kind of just took off. Um, and it was just me for about a year and a half. And then my husband decided to quit his job and join me and just kind of help scale the business. And since then, it's been a little over a year and we've grown to a team of seven. Awesome. We're building out our own office space right now. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been a wild year and a half. <laughs> what, what kind of flooring are you going to do? In the office? Yeah. Got LVT. Oh, really? What about paint color for the walls? <laughs> black and white. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of black walls. Both of our bathrooms in our condo are completely black walls. I don't have a ton of clients that are brave enough, but I've had a few. But um, but yeah, we're going to have some black and white walls and then a big wallpaper. Is that a challenge is trying to find that balance between sort of taking those kind of design risks and hitting the ball, just nice, clean contact straight down the middle of the field? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, it really depends on the client. And we actually do a really kind of extensive onboarding process with our clients to really get an understanding of their likes and dislikes. So I kind of know how far I can push them. But yeah, only once I've had a client after a presentation, we had a few black walls in her project and she asked to like, she was like, just give me more. And we did more black walls. We wallpapered all of her ceilings. Like we'd. Wow. Yes. She was, she was our biggest risk taker. Have you ever had to turn down a client because it wasn't a good fit? Rarely. We, yeah, a lot of the leads that we get are really, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of get to know us through Instagram. I try to have kind of a big presence on there um, and, and keep that really regular and relevant. So I think a lot of the people that hire us kind of already have a good understanding of who we are. And there's definitely an element of chemistry that's involved and it's, we've been really fortunate. We've had a lot of great people come to us. So not, I feel like interior design and Instagram are like a match made in heaven because everyone wants yeah. to see pretty pictures, pictures. Yeah. yeah, and <laughs> it's a, like a great outlet for, yeah. for folks like you to, to post really what you're is. doing on. I just saw a store open up on Newberry street. That's exclusively focused on designing dorm rooms for college students. Like real oh, that's genius. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I guess in Boston. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you got a lot of I wealthy international yeah. students and stuff like that. So, do you find that your your clients are coming? You know, is it an even split from Instagram versus are you getting a lot of uh, work from architects that are adding on design as a uh, an option? Or yeah, we probably more the former. Most of our clients today are uh, leads from Instagram or just referrals from past clients. So, a friend of a friend. Yeah. That's that's pretty much been it. Though Instagram has actually been our only form of like outward or outbound marketing to this point, um, and it's been really beneficial. Do you ever do any sponsored posts on Instagram, or or has it all been organic? No, it's been organic. I tried the sponsored posts a few times, and I think I feel like Instagram is kind of trying to drive people more and more towards that. I feel like that's going to be the future. But I've I've tested it out a few times and didn't get a huge. I feel like the organic posting and just interacting has been more beneficial and more mm. impactful. Do you find that there's like a big variety in interior designers in terms of like what you get for your money? Like, for example, I feel like there's a lot of uh, interior designers who don't even have AutoCAD or can't draw an elevation of a bathroom. They're almost just like stagers for furnished listings. But um, curious your thoughts and how to vet that out. Yeah. So, I mean, I think interior design is a really 
gray industry in the sense that there is a lot of diff- uh, there's a lot of different kind of avenues that you can take, but they all kind of get labeled as interior designer. So for example, like what you're describing, if someone's kind of staging or, or not able to do a bathroom or something like that, technically they'd be like an interior decorator, right? But they, um, the names get mixed a lot and certain states have licensing requirements for interior designers and certain states don't. So I think there's a lot of just gray area and kind of ambiguity, but yeah, I think there's definitely a variety when people hire a designer, they should kind of understand what they're getting with that because there are such different ways that people can go up about the process and how they're going to, you know, present to the client, shop for the client, install for the client, you know, manage construction. There's so many variabilities. So maybe that's something we talk about for our listeners is, um, yeah. all the different facets of interior design, right? Because the first thing that comes to our, our minds is the actual design. What's it going to, to look and feel like colors and textures and palettes, but it can be more than that. How about lighting, right? Lighting design, the different, I mean, do you get into different kitchen designs as well and room layouts, that sort of thing? Yeah, we definitely do. So because my background's in architecture, I my favorite projects are the ones where we get to actually move walls around and, um, you know, gut a space or work on a new build from the ground up. So yeah, we definitely get into that. But again, I think there's definitely some designers that either don't choose to or aren't able to get into that avenue. So um, focus more on furnishings. We kind of try to, we cover all the areas. So we'll do a new build. We'll do a full gut renovation. We'll do a bathroom renovation. We'll do furnishing accessories, model homes. We'll work with developers and apartment buildings. So there's, we try to do it all. So that begs the question, how do you delineate responsibilities and keep from basically pissing off the architect? Like she keeps moving our walls yeah. around and she, <laughs> you know, windows are going to have to be there and then structural gets involved and all that stuff. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think because I've worked in a few architecture firms, I kind of, I understand their process. So I understand, you know, going through SD, DD to CDs, we always try to kind of set right from the beginning, just set lanes and figure out, you know, who's doing what so that we can work together and really be a strong team and not step on each other's toes. So yeah, definitely a conversation you need to have in the beginning. Do you feel that it's sometimes it can get become a complex relationship between an interior designer and say a general contractor, you know, cause a lot of general contractors like to have control over the project. And yeah. when you come in and say, well, this needs to go here and this needs to go there yeah. and here are the specs for this. Do you, yeah. do you feel some tension a lot of the time or yeah, can there a be? Great, <laughs> great question. I think, um, they definitely have not all of them, but they, some of them definitely have their guard up when they first are introduced to us. We have a new build that we're working on right now. And we had a phone call with the contractor and he made it very clear that he's worked with designers that he likes. He's worked with designers that he hates and has fired from the job. So yeah. So again, we kind of approach that the same way as, you know, working with an architect or a developer or a leasing agent. We just want to just really make a strong connection right from the start and communicate properly. And nobody throws under anyone under the bus. Nobody, you know, we're not here to point fingers. We want to just make the client happy and make a project that we can all be proud of. So um, we, we, I mean, and I think we accomplish that by kind of in, involving our contractors from the start. So we'll kind of, as we're designing, we'll hop on a call with them and 
walk them through what we're thinking, if they have any input, you know, if there's any advice that they can give on, on edits to make or if something that we're doing is going to blow the budget, they can kind of step in then rather than looking like the bad guy, like two months later, you know, it's, yeah, it's we sure. try to just collaborate along the way. And then there's another component, another dimension we haven't mentioned is the the real estate agents or brokers. You know, they would have their opinions in terms of what they think would sell well too. So I'm assuming that's another dimension you have to work around and uh, and work it with is. together. Yeah, it's yeah, a big it's a big yeah. sandbox. It is, yeah. But I mean, I think you know, the more people you have working and kind of contributing to a project, you're going to have a stronger result. So we actually last summer we worked on the River City apartments. It was. Chicago's actually biggest con- condo deconversion. And so we got deconversion. Deconversion. Yeah. They took, I think it was 452 condos and they bought out the building for like $90 million and converted it to a part to rentals. Uh, Whoa. So never, never heard of that happen. I don't here. think that, I don't think that would work in Boston <laughs> from a cost standpoint. It took, I think it took them a very long time to, to reach a final deal, but, but we got to work with them, with the developers on that project. And that was one where right from the start, the leasing team, the real estate agents were involved. And, you know, we, the first thing we did when we started the project was just get everyone in a room and do kind of an imaging session together so that we could hear from the contractor, what he thought was doable with the budget and hear from the leasing agents, you know, what were the key items that we have to incorporate and have to prioritize for the project and then hear from the developers about what they want to do to kind of stand out. And then we kind of mixed everything together and, and it was a really strong, really great end result. What were some of the priorities maybe from the leasing agent or, or developer? So the leasing agent their their biggest priority was storage. They basically, their tactic was, you know, if you can, design a space that can fit a couple, it's going to be much more beneficial than if you design a space for one person, you know, that's better suited for a single person. So maximizing storage space, closets, and then making bedrooms that can fit uh, a queen or a king bed. These rentals actually all fit king beds, which I think is pretty rare. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you feel like the minimum, like to me, a bedroom doesn't want to be less than 10 feet in either direction. Like nine is kind of a guest. Yeah, but 10, 10 is tidy for a queen. Well, I'm talking about a minimum, like to call it a bedroom. Oh, it's funny. Like the longer, one of the things that comes with experience to me is like, no, being able to look at a set of plans and be like, Ooh, that's going to be tight. Cause you yeah. can't really appreciate scale sometimes until you've actually built a 10 by 10 bedroom and you go, uh, it's mm. kind of small. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's actually really important to kind of study furniture layouts as you go too, because we've done some model units for apartment buildings. And sometimes there'll be times where, you know, you can't comfortably fit two nightstands or you can't comfortably fit a dresser. And those are things that are important, I think, in rentals. So I think it helps to, or, you know, the cable is on one wall where it would make sense to have the TV on the opposite wall or something like that. I think it's really important to kind of just with placeholders, just study how someone could actually lay out the space. And then that kind of dictates the size and the, and the flow as you go. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, some of our newer projects, we've been having the architect, you know, add beds and add couches and add coffee tables to the space to kind of see how the spacing would look, you know, on the set of plans just to, to vary, because just staring at a you know, a square or a rectangle is kind of, sometimes it's very difficult to imagine. 
yeah, you need something for scale just to, you know, to the naked eye to be able to understand and just make sure it's, it all makes sense. Is it possible to find uh, nice finishes at Home Depot? <laughs> or Lowe's? I wish it was. I <laughs> <laughs> The past few times I've gone in trying to find something. I mean, I've found a few like large format porcelain tiles, but I think you can just get better value elsewhere. You don't even think it's, I find that the tile at Home Depot is not that inexpensive, like for, especially considering the hassle. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think you get good value? I mean, I've done a bunch of rentals, uh, my rentals with, with, you know, some just basic subway tile. And that's, I think that's worth it. I feel like it's like the Costco warning. It's like, there are good deals in that store, but you can also like buy stuff that's not a great value. Yeah. Like just cause it yeah. can, well, you're talking about in terms of the actual look and finish, or are you talking about the durability of it or both? I'm just talking about the cost and, oh. and the look. But anyway. I was going to say, the, uh, the, like, when you're doing these projects, to your earlier point, you know, 90% of, before you even swing a hammer, 90% of the work is done. You need to have all the layouts. You have to have a lot of the finishes. You have to have the vision done. So it's, you, can't, you can't overemphasize how important it is to do these steps and to take these considerations into account before you start swinging hammers. I mean, obviously, in some cases, you might need to open up walls and see what's behind there, especially if it's a gut reno. But I don't know. I think sometimes people are very excited to let's tear stuff down. Let's start framing. And then, and then they're like, Oh wait, where's stuff going to go? And you kind of yeah, get yeah. too far no, down. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. We, that's something we, I mean, so because my back is more commercial design and, um, we're now a primarily residential firm, but whether that means, you know, working with developers on apartment buildings or just a family on their own home, we still kind of apply that commercial design firm background and, and practice to all of our projects. So we'll model everything, render everything, really study everything in detail before anything is purchased, before any finishes or furniture, anything is purchased and before any hammers are swinging for that reason. Do you find it difficult sometimes to design a space based on a set budget from a developer or a, or a homeowner? No, I think, I mean, obviously... No, I think I think it's it's always doable. And we actually start every project with a set budget. We don't start any design work until the client has signed off on what they're comfortable with for a project. So we know exactly what we're working with. And I think we've developed a really strong uh, list of vendors and fabricators that we work with where we then know based on the budget, okay, this is where we're going to go for this. This is, you know, it kind of, it, it the budget almost kind of helps organize the design process because it, you're not just scrambling, looking at every single vendor and then presenting and realizing you're over budget and you have to go back and start over. It just, it, it helps the entire process just be more efficient. What are some sources for light fixtures that you guys like? I always find that like I'm blown away at a cost for a light fixture or, um, you know, something gets specced and I'm like, whoa, that pendant light was like $600 each or. Yeah. I would say, so we use Y lighting and Lightology a lot. They have a really wide net and source from a ton of different designers and vendors. So they have pretty much anything for any budget that you're looking at. They have a lot of nicer, higher quality pieces, but there's also, you can find a good pendant that's, you know, more unique than what you're going to find at Home Depot for a better price. You can be, you can be completely overwhelmed by lighting. Lighting is. Yeah, it's true. Thousands and thousands and thousands. I want to show you guys the ceiling of a living room in an early rental that I did in Southie. I went crazy. 
crazy. It looks like a runway in the ceiling. <laughs> There's just lights everywhere for no reason. I'm just like, <laughs> the more lighting, the better. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly how I approached. It. I was like, yeah, put one there. My electrician was just, oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Speaking of lighting, little topic of mine that I like. I'm I'm kind of a light freak, a light bulb freak. I'm, I'm always talking about like beam angles and color temperatures and that yeah. sort of thing. And I usually get eyes rolled at me left and right. H- how important are those this things? Typical. <laughs> <laughs> Such is the story of my life. No, yeah. ask, actually, ask my wife. I replaced every light bulb in our house because I did not like the fixture and I didn't like the color temperature. It, really? bother, it bothered me. Devin, is Ray a weirdo? You can, you can answer <laughs> no. honestly. He is. No, I, I mean, yeah. I, He's unique. I don't, <laughs> I don't get as hung up on that stuff, but I've had clients that are very particular about like their, the light temperature and making sure that everything makes sense. And I, I mean, I agree. I think in a home, like, you don't want anything too cool, right? Like you don't want to have a very like institutional feel in your home. So I think warmer is always a little better, but um, then it can get a little too warm for sure. The, I mean, the lighting in my bedroom would probably drive you nuts because it's like an orange glow. <laughs> but my preference is thirty five hundred for anybody wondering. <laughs> <Yeah>. Cal- <laughs> Kelvin's thirty Kelvin, five. Yep. And what's your what's the best beam angle that you like? Right. Well, it depends on the functionality, right? So, like Jeez. our porch, I want to change the beam angle, so it's like maybe thirty forty degrees, so you get a little bit of a spotlight feature there. Nice, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Crazy. What pet peeves do you have in uh, in working with developers or, or in in the industry? I think the biggest pet peeve I have, it's not really design related. It's more like behavior related is um, I hate when people just assume that I'm a decorator and Mm, think that we like fluff pillows all day. And I get, I get really personally offended by that just because it's so far from, you know, what we actually do. Um, I think, I think in the construction and design business, interior designers get pretty bad rap a lot, which is disappointing. It's occasionally deserved. Occasionally, not. I feel sure, like it is. Totally. It is. I've I've paid for some expensive mistakes because an interior designer didn't know. For example, specified a massive tile in a herringbone format in a mud set drain, and the tile guy came to us and he's like, "There is no way to achieve a slope to a drain with this tile in it." And so, like, they need to be coordinating with the contractor more. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that with any. Well, a trade or subcontractor or, or design professional. I agree. It's all about communication and details. Like we had mechanical plans drawn up yeah. one time and the guy just spec'd out the plans and we thought he was going to take into account the light fixtures and where to run the trunks and all that. And it wasn't that. But I'll all. bet Devin, you'd agree that like a good interior designer knows enough about the nuts and bolts and how things go together that yeah, um, they can help you avoid things. Like, oh, I, uh, I would agree with that. I, th- I mean, I, I think to this day, like I learned something new on every project. There's all there's always new things that we're learning. But yeah, I think if you're going to market yourself as an interior designer, you need to know what's going on and how things work and how things kind of tie together and, and be able to communicate with the contractor or the developers, with all the trades. Absolutely. So is your focus mainly, you know, you you talk that you work with you know, individuals. So do you do single family, multifamily, commercial, all the above? Have you ever done a dorm room? I, well, my own dorm room, I decorated. Yeah, that was like the highlight of college. <laughs> <laughs> Northeastern should sponsor our podcast. Yeah. I know, they really should. Half of our firm is Northeastern. Uh, half oh, wow. of our guests. Yeah. yeah. Half of our okay. podcast is our three, <laughs> 66% of our podcast is Northeastern. <laughs> That was a good fraction reduction. Yeah, it was. I did it in my head. Sorry, Devin. 
know. I mean, going back to your question, I think, so yeah, we kind of do all of the above. We work, I, I would say probably 60, 70% of our projects right now are private clients working on their own homes, single family homes. But, you know, we've done, like I said, we've worked on apartment buildings uh, with developers where right now we're working on a new one where we're doing all of the unit interiors and then the amenity spaces um, as well. And then we do some commercial work as well. So I did one of my earlier projects, actually, when it was still just me, uh, I did the offices for Ford models in New York and Chicago. And yeah. Did they have a big kitchen? Did they what? Did they have a big kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) Ford models. It was just a crude, it was a bad joke. (laughs) I assume there was no. (laughs) Can we cut that right? (laughs) If we're keeping the latte thing in, we're keeping that in. So what would you say you're in an ideal world? Who would you, your ideal client be? Would you rather work with developers? Would you rather work with, you know, homeowners? Would you rather do your own development? What would you? I mean, that would be a dream someday, but I don't know if we'll ever get there. But no, I, I think there's pros and cons to both. I really love, I love when I work with developers, it's just, it's much more straightforward. It's, you know, it's business. There's no emotion involved. We're all kind of in it for the same reason and everybody can just make decisions that much easier versus with residential. Obviously, it's a lot more intimate um, and you're you really, I mean, most of our clients end up becoming friends at the end of the project because you're so intimately involved in their lives and, you know, understanding um, just how they operate from day to day. And so there's, that's a really wonderful element to to the private residential side. Um, I really love that part. But at the same time, that has its struggles. If, you know, if, if a husband and wife have very different... You're like a marriage tastes, counselor. Yeah, very, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an element of that. Um, so, you know, they all, they all have their pros and cons. They make you take psychology classes at Northeastern <laughs> yeah. to prepare for the interview. Probably, probably should have. That would have been a good idea. <laughs> I can only imagine what some of the... We've had to... We've done one build where we, oh, you know, right. built a suit more or less. And yeah. they had full Ray, control over the specs. Ray and I wanted to gouge our eyes out by the end of this. <laughs> we feel your pain. <laughs> we yeah. feel your pain. Yeah, it can get, it can get complicated <laughs> for sure. How do you keep your design fresh? I feel like I do something that was successful and I kind of like always want to keep pulling back to that. But I, I need to be disciplined and continuing to keep it, changing it up. So what do you guys do? So I think now that we're a team, um, we have four, we have five designers now on the team, actually. Our fifth just joined last week. So um, we kind of all like bounce off of each other and kind of keep each other motivated, which is really nice. So there's always something new introduced in each project, whether it's something that one of us, you know, discovered on Pinterest or Instagram or just traveling. I So my personal favorite way to get inspiration, I guess, would be traveling. But that being said, you know, you can't apply everything to every project. So there's, there's certain pieces that I'll see when I'm traveling and just kind of store it away and save it for when the right project comes along. But I think, I think it's important to just explore and stay in tune with what's going on in the world and just expose yourself to more. Do you ever go into random open houses whenever you travel? No, but you know what's funny? I think that's actually kind of what got me into interior design because my mom and I used to do that when I was in high school. I <laughs> we do that. We used to go and we'd put like a fake name down. <laughs> 
My wife wants yeah. to kill me whenever that, I do that. That's a real trait of a developer is just like that <laughs> that pull to go into an open house. Like oh, if yeah. I'm walking by a product, I constantly. I went to go, we were in California and, and I went to go get coffee in the morning and I get a text like, 30 minutes later, my wife's like, where are you? And I was like, oh, I saw our open house on the way and it looked really nice, so I stopped in. <laughs> well, if your travel is for market research, then it's also tax deductible. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, hidden hidden agenda there. <laughs> All right, tell us an area in within interior design where you think that clients can save money. You know, you don't need to buy the ANSACs or otherwise you can save on this type of thing. I don't want to give... I don't want to lead anything in this. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I definitely think that the, the areas that you should prioritize in a project from a construction standpoint are the kitchen and the master bathroom. I think those two areas, that's where you want to put your specialty tile, you know, ANSACs or whatever it is that you kind of fall in love with. I think that's where you should splurge a little and then kind of balance it out in the other spaces. So, so you know, the kids' bathroom doesn't need to be remarkable. It can be, you know, make it cool and make it fun for them, but that's where you can kind of make up some of that difference to kind of offset the costs. Plumbing fixtures, what do you think? Do you so think Dan, you so Dan that means you can do the $30 tile, $30 foot tile in the master or more, and then go down um, to like four Did you see Dan's latest um, master bathroom creation? Where? On Insta. The one at Sawyer? Yeah. Uh, with the tub. What is your, what are your thoughts on wet rooms? Well, like, yeah, define that for our listeners. Oh, I love them. I think, yeah, I think they're really elegant. One of my favorite designers actually is Kara Mann. And she she's the designer for the 1000M building, which is actually going to be our neighbor once that goes up. So my husband and I went in their sales center and got to see, I mean, that entire bathroom is like a marble wet room. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's nice. incredible. So yeah, I think, I mean, that just adds such a level of luxury. You need the space for it, but... You need the space. And I think, again, there's kind of a, there's a certain client that would love that. There's some clients would probably hate that, you know? So personally, I love it. I think they're great. Yeah. How do you define your aesthetic? So my personal aesthetic, I'm definitely, I trend more modern. I love just really clean lines. So our motto that we kind of use for our company is to keep it simple, but significant. So I think keeping things really clean just kind of lets the special moments shine a little more. So we don't get carried away with too many elements in a space. We try to just pick, prioritize a few and let them kind of stand out. Definitely more modern. And then again, on a personal, from a personal standpoint, I'm very monochromatic. I'm black, white, and gray. And I add color with wood and with uh, greenery and plants, and just kind of natural elements. But, you know, a lot of our projects, that, you know, we need to customize it and tailor it to a client. But I, but I think um, in general, people typically come to us for a modern design. I have not gotten any traditional clients. As a developer, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of developers that, that listen in, you know, what, if I'm a developer and obviously kitchens and master baths, but what are some certain designs or products or what, what, what some are some recommendations that, developers can do to set themselves apart, you know, versus doing what everyone else is doing right now? Yeah, I think there's definitely areas. So one, for example, that kind of jumps out is like a fireplace. I've gone in, you know, a lot of, a lot of our private clients that we get are people, you know, a couple that just bought a new build home and, you know, it's, everything is kind of builder's grade. So they want us to kind of add a, 
a personal stamp to them, but sometimes we'll go in and the developer actually took a risk on the kitchen and did something, you know, unique and introduced different materials. It's not just the white cabinets and, you know, shaker fronts. They actually took a risk and did something unique and it really stands out. I think it, it, yeah, it might narrow your typical buyer demographic, but I think the people that it does entice are going to be that much more excited about it. So I think areas like that and yeah, fireplaces that we've seen a few new build homes where the developers kind of took a risk and did something unique on a fireplace, not just a traditional mantle or not just a large format tile, but they introduced like we saw one recently where they took a really industrial reclaimed log and created this custom mantle out of it, uh, kind of floating. And it was cool. It just, um, it set the home apart and it's not something that I think really goes a long way with buyers. It gets them excited. Did you have a chance to look at HRV's Insta page? Oh, what about what about Shoes Boston? Uh, yeah, Boston. yeah I, lo- <laughs> I did. I looked at both of them. Any, yeah. any critiques you can offer, Dan? <laughs> for Instagram or for uh, uh, yeah, for their portfolio for both uh, for Instagram what, yeah. and or you know some of the design stuff we're doing. Feedback is welcome. Yeah, I, I have to say I was like very impressed with the design that I saw. I think you guys definitely do kind of set yourselves apart, which is nice. It's refreshing to see. Um, I loved you guys actually, Dan, I think you did bathroom or a powder room with a porcelain osa tile that we actually used recently on a project. I think, yeah, I think I saw your post. Dan Dan ripped off your design. (laughs) (laughs) I did. (laughs) Well, I'm flattered. No, it, it no. I mean, I think it looks awesome. She recommended I've, it. Porcelanosa <laughs> woman recommended it. Yeah, no, I think your Instagrams are great. I think they all tell a really nice story, which um, is what you need to do. I think with Instagram, it's such a valuable platform to be able to show your personality behind your business, you know? And, and I think the most disappointing thing on Instagram is when you go to someone's page and there's just no personality and it's just like very robotic and very stale and can't even tell who the person is if it's a real person or if it's i like the instagram accounts where it's just all every other post is those motivational quotes (laughs) that means you're not really doing too much yeah i I took ig off my phone yesterday (laughs) it's not going to be forever but maybe for a week oh no i'm just like i don't know kind of a mental health thing just kind of felt like i was spending too much time oh dan you have to take over real estate addicts No, I'll be back. Is this, did you like did getting your spot treatment done like do like trigger something? <laughs> it was. It was definitely it was like yeah, a wow. life changing event. Exfoliation and uh, <laughs> just terrific. There's a uh, holistic wellness center downstairs you can visit yeah. in our office here. <laughs> so, what are some of the latest design trends that you see now? And then uh, on the flip side, what are some design trends that you think are on their way out? I don't know if this is necessarily a trend that's rising or if it's just like I'm pigeonholing myself so much on Instagram that it's like all I'm seeing. But either way, I really love that. I think kitchens uh, and just, and and I guess bathrooms too, vanities, millwork in general is starting to trend more towards like kind of natural woods. So going back to um, these like bleached white oaks or like a white rift cut. It's like a distressed wood Boston bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did that. Nice. No, I think I think I'm I'm loving that things are heading that way. My favorite design styles. I'm I'm always really drawn to Australian designers, as well as Scandinavian designers. So I think those 
styles, the like minimalistic, really kind of bright, airy, again, clean lines and and a lot of organic materials. So like those wood cabinets, I think that's all really becoming more present in in design, which is pretty exciting. And I think they're kind of everyone's starting to get a little tired, I think, of like I said before, like the white shaker cabinets with the stainless steel long poles, which unfortunately is what my kitchen is. But um, <laughs> you know, it's I think that is something that's starting to go away and people are just starting to inject more personality and just warmth in general. What do you thought I think, you know, there's a lot of Europe quote unquote, European design yeah. that a lot of, you know, builders or a lot of just in general people are putting in their homes and I feel that I feel that the Northeast is always like the last to to adopt design trends, you know, from everywhere. Everyone else does it, and then like <laughs> five years later, the Northeast finally starts doing it. We're a bunch of Puritans, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, old school, yeah, yeah, a little more nostalgic. When I am on IG, I follow uh, Australian design and Scandinavian design, like those hashtags, and I always find really cool designers yeah. that way. Dan and I have had a lot of conversations about this. Do you think that we can still do Navy Islands or is that now overdone? I think you could still do it. I do too. I think it looks great. Yeah, Yeah, we do them too much, I think. Because it's like all like our brokers are always like, oh, everyone loves the white and the the blue with the brass. I do like it. I mean, it looks nice. Yeah, I think especially in Boston, that's like such a strong color combination. But I, I mean, you could try a different color, like a dark green. Yeah, change things like a, up. Kind of a, yeah, or um, even a charcoal, something like that. But I like the two-tone. I think it's nice. We did a charcoal uh, vanity at Rose Claire, but, you know, it's, I just, the problem with us is that it's like, I feel that it's like repetition and I try to do new stuff in every project and it's like, but then if I try to do something new and then I get critiqued and say, well, everyone loves it this way, so why don't you just keep doing it? And I was like, yeah, but then I'm like everyone else. It's like, it gets annoying. No, but I think you should, you should keep trying to do <laughs> something like, new. I like, like it. <laughs> Dan's you, always so sad. I know. I'm like depressing <laughs> myself. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to take IG off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're all going to take an IG break. IG break. <laughs> One last question before we get to the uh, OU game. Do you take any clients or anybody outside of Chicago or is Chicago definitely keeping you busy enough? Chicago is keeping us busy, but we take work all over. Right now we have a project in New York that we're doing. Um, We just wrapped up a full gut renovation in Virginia. It's always really beneficial when it happens to be nearby our family. So Mike and I, our family is kind of dispersed throughout the East Coast. So I'm always happy to get a project uh over there so i have an excuse to kind of travel more but yeah we're we're always open to out-of-state projects overrated underrated appropriately rated yeah so do you kind of know what the how that game works yeah yeah dan say appropriately rated three times appropriately rated appropriately (laughs) appropriately (laughs) you can't do it it. god just gotta slow it down (laughs) sally sells i rated my first one Large format tiles. I think appropriately rated. I use it in a lot of projects. I think less grout lines on floors, the better. Unless you're doing a statement tile. But yeah, I think I think they work. Pendant lights, specifically in kitchens above islands. I want to say underrated because I love them. I want more. But yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> How about matte black fixtures? Definitely underrated. I would do everything matte black if I could. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say gold fixtures. 
I mean, also underrated. I think for both of those people, people are always afraid that it's a trend and that they're, they're like afraid to invest in those and put them in their kitchen or bathroom because it'll date the place. But I think all of the vendors that we work with, they're just creating more and more matte black and brass. So I think that's here to stay. I think it's something people should lean into. It's easy to replace a fixture too. Yeah. A lot easier to replace a fixture than an entire kitchen. How about floating vanities? Probably overrated. I feel like they can look tacky. It, it has to be the right one. It has to be properly done. How about freestanding tubs? Appropriately rated. Uh, yeah, I think they're huge. Right, Everybody's loving them right now. And I think they just add such an elegant look. So I guess would that be appropriately rated or underrated? Either way. If, appro- yeah. Appropriately rated. Okay. Subway tile. Overrated. I think it's time to move on from subway tile. <laughs> I, I do. I do like, there's some like longer, more elegant ones that have kind of come out now, like a three by 12 or a four by 12. I think that can give a better look, but the, the I mean, the three by six standard subway, it's, there's too much. <laughs> How about wallpaper? Definitely underrated. Yeah. I would put it in every, we pretty much do put it in every project. Can we go back to the wallpaper? It, you're talking about as more of like an accent wall or are you doing whole rooms or a little both? We do a lot of, we do a lot of accent walls, but we've done whole rooms too. I think, you know, like a dining room, if you have paneling on the lower half and wallpaper at the top, that's a really just elevated look. Powder rooms, I think should always be fully wallpapered. Your only excuse to just like go nuts in a, it's such a tiny room. You can get away with it. I mean, wallpaper is, it's come so far that I think there's no reason to avoid it anymore. And there's options now for like the removable wallpaper that's actually pretty good. It actually holds up. So if people are in rentals, they can do it. They can add some personality. and Dorm yeah. rooms. Dorm rooms, yeah. You're really you pushing go. the dorm uh, rooms. I am. <laughs> I'm just... Mark wants to go back to school. <laughs> he, wants to to, he wants to go to design. <laughs> Paneled appliances. I think they're underrated. Yeah, I know it's... it's it's. I mean, it's a cost thing on a lot of projects, but... I hate seeing, I I personally hate seeing stainless steel appliances. The biggest thing that drives the cost is the narrowing of the selection of the appliances that are compatible with. It's not actually the panel. Actually, a good tip is Fisher Paykel makes a good paneled fridge, panel ready fridge that is uh, reasonable. So there's a quick plug. Quick tip. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What about like though, does it, does it drive you crazy that all everything's paneled except the range? Because the range is obviously... Does that drive you crazy? Uh, yes. Really? <laughs> Can you tell? So, <laughs> yeah. So there's actually, there's ways to get around that. We're doing a kitchen right now where everything is integrated along one wall. And then we tucked the oven. We did like a separate cooktop and oven. And the oven is tucked on the inside of the island. Mm. So you don't see it. Oh, um, But then the cooktop is just on a clean, you know, we just did a pots and pans drawer underneath. So that entire wall is now just really clean. So... Yeah, it does. I guess it does drive me nuts to see the range. <laughs> <laughs> so you can panel the yeah. wall-mounted ovens? No, you can't. You can't. I was going to say, no, isn't that like... you can't. But if yeah. you tuck it on the inside of the island, then you're not... You're only seeing it when you're like in inside the kitchen. Yeah, like yeah. the uh, drawer, drawer microwaves. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a good quick tip too. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Ikea. <laughs> Is that for underrated overrated? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a question, sir? <laughs> Uh, IKEA in so terms of I what, think, like I anything? IKEA gets a bad reputation, but I, I mean, yeah, quality-wise, it's not the best, obviously. But their style is actually pretty great. Right? We, put, we put IKEA kitchens in our first development. 
Mm. I, yeah, I had a client once that requested an Ikea kitchen and we will never do it again. It was just, I think it turned out, it actually looked okay. And I'm hoping that it's holding up okay, but just the assembly process for a kitchen is the same as any other Ikea piece, except times like 20. So well, the worst was when we we did it and our carpenter, we came back at the end of the day and there was an entire box oh, filled yeah. with parts. And he was like, oh, we're all set. And I was like, where did all these parts go? He used his own screws. Don't worry. Well, you can return every one of those to yeah. Ikea. They have the roofs ridiculous. Yeah. You know what they're really good for is closets. I put all, every house that oh, I've yeah. lived in, I do Ikea closets. Really? I build the closet to fit the Ikea product. And um, oh. it's my wife is like the Ikea whisperer when it comes to assembling this stuff. Just the patience of a saint. And uh, <laughs> I swear. I mean, there's, pe- there's people in services out there that just do Ikea. So I, yeah. I'd say it's yeah. probably better to sub that one out to a specialty contractor. So yeah, we had two of them help with that kitchen and they both quit. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, I would not recommend Ikea kitchen. So in terms of... Uh, I don't know if this is more of like the sales side of things, but renderings or pre-marketing before the work's actually done. I think they're very much underrated. We we do them for every single project, no matter the size. Um, and I think that kind of sets us apart a little bit in the residential market because it does take it does take a lot of time and energy to go into that. But I think it gives me it gives me anxiety to have a client that isn't going to know what it's going to look like until it's done. I want them to see exactly what it's going to look like before they spend any money on anything. So with technology today, it's, I think it's, it needs to be done. It's kind of side note. What are your thoughts on VR and like where that's going? I think it's cool. We haven't had the opportunity to use it on a, on, for a presentation yet, but my husband actually used to work at Autodesk. So we got to test out, he got to work, you know, with, VR on a lot of his accounts. And so we got to test out one of the machines and it's incredible. It's, I, it's so realistic. Nice. So I think, I mean, it's for developers, if you're selling, you know, a building that isn't built yet, um, it's a no brainer. It's a great, I think it's a very strong investment. Yeah. How about stone backsplashes? So, you know, using quartz. Exactly. Yeah. I love that look. I think it just gives such a clean aesthetic. It's, I don't know. I guess it's arguable whether it costs more. Most people say that it does, but you also kind of cut back on labor for tile installation, depending on what you're doing. So, and backsplash tile can get expensive, you know, depending on what you're doing. So I think, I don't know. I think it's such a gorgeous look. We're actually doing it in our new office. Appropriate or under? Underrated? Underrated. Yeah. All right. Last one. Last one. Last one. Um, (laughs) Medicine cabinets. I guess appropriately rated. I think it's a personal preference and it depends on how much storage you actually have in your bathroom. Like for me, I have a, we have a five foot wide medicine cabinet in our bathroom because it's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. It's like a pantry. Yeah. And that had to be thought out and framed especially too, right? Or fur out the wall or something. Yeah. I I do have one more that I want to know about. Oh, here we go. Breaking (laughs) the rules again. Sconces in bathrooms. Ooh. Oh. Underrated. I think, yeah, I think... I get really fatigued with like the basic, you know, chrome with the frosted glass on either side that most, a lot of spaces have. I think that is an opportunity to really do just a fun fixture and and add some personality and life to a space. So yeah, underrated. Well, this has been really, really good. Thanks for being our first Skype guest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for having me. This is so fun. No, this is really, I hopefully everyone learned a lot about interior design and 
yeah, folks want to follow you, how, how can they uh, find you? Yeah, we're uh, so on Instagram, it's Devon, D-E-V-O-N underscore Grace underscore Interiors. It's a mouthful. Well, thank you, Devin. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Great to meet you. Very nice meeting you as well. And if anybody else out there has any recommendations for guests, and thanks for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing. So we'll catch you all in the next one. Take Cheers. Care. Thanks, Devin. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. All right.